0: If you don't know who I am, I'm the senior pastor here, and this morning we are continuing on in our series on Joseph, and if you would stand please as we read God's Word together. One more week of turning an R-rated sermon into a PG sermon here, so one more week. Would Would you read along with me? Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in, his, in her hand and had run out of the house, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak and ran "'with beside me and ran out of the house. "'She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. "'Then she told him this story, "'That Hebrew slave you brought us "'has come to make sport of me. "'But as soon as I screamed for help, "'he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. "'When his master heard this story, "'his wife told him, saying, "'This is how the slave treated me. "'He burned with anger. "'Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, "'the place where the king's prisoners were confined.' But while Joseph was in there, was in the prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all that he held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Did you notice the two bookends? In this, in this chapter, how it starts and how it finishes. That is a very huge clue. It starts out with the Lord was with him, and he prospered him. And it ends that way. God is with us in the midst of our darkest times, but one of the things that God is seeking to do is to bless us so that we can be a blessing. Let me tell you a story about our uh, our the president of our denomination in the States. His name is John Stumble. John Stumbo was the pastor of the Alliance Church in Salem, Oregon. Oregon is on the far west coast, right, right next to the ocean. And he was doing five sermons. Get this. Five sermons a weekend. Two on Saturday and three on Sunday. I don't know how you do that. I did three at one, you know, three for a long time, just about killed me. But he's doing five. And one weekend he developed, uh, he just was having trouble. He felt he had numbness in his hands and he developed flu-like symptoms. And so he went to the doctor's office, and they couldn't figure out what it is. They gave him some antibiotics, and they sent him home. And then he began to lose feeling in his arms and in his legs. This guy, he, was, he wasn't out of shape. He was an ultra-marathoner. There are those people who crazily run 26 miles into a marathon. He was beyond that. He was doing up to 100K marathons that would go over three days. And he was doing really well at this, I mean, in, t- in tip-top shape. And he developed this illness. And it, it got to the point where several times his family was brought to the hospital, and they said, we don't think he's going to make it. And so he still retained his place as pastor of the church, but he wasn't preaching. People were filling in for him, and he could watch the people go into the church and out of the church. And one Sunday he came. He was able finally to get up and walk, and he walked with a walker up, to the, up on, the, on the platform. And he said three or four words to the congregation. And he said this, God is in this, and God is good. And I remember praying that year at council. That was, I believe, 2010. We prayed at our, our national gathering of all of our pastors, and we prayed, and someone stood up and said, I feel led of the Lord to that we as, a, we as council would pray just this prayer, Lord, heal him. And so we just simply said that, Lord, heal him. John had no ability. They still to this day do not know what it was. But he had no ability to swallow. They put the probes down his throat. There was nothing wrong with his throat, but he had no ability. He could not swallow. He could not sw- swallow even his saliva. So he had to have a, a rag with him at all times. But he was, uh, he was driving. He and his family were driving to Florida, and he had in his hand, he would uh, take yogurt, and he would just put the yogurt in his mouth just to have some sensation of something in his mouth, but then he would have to, have to spit it out. The only way that he was fed was through a tube in his stomach. And as he went, one day, as they were traveling, he noticed that a quarter, a quarter of this yogurt cup was gone. He had, God had begun the work of healing him. And he talks about this in, in his book, The Mysterious Journey. But one of the things he said, and he kept on saying it, was this. Was this God is in this, and God is good. And he really felt like God was preparing him for the role to be the president of our denomination, a very godly man. And I highly would suggest to you that book that he has. And if he's ever in Southeast Asia or in this area, I've told him, I said, I want you to come to our church and preach to our church. You will love to meet him. But God is in this and God is good. That first line of, of of chapter 39, where it says that Joseph was taken down to Egypt and Potiphar an Egyptian, this wasn't happenstance. God doesn't work willy-nilly in our lives and just, okay, I think I'll have this guy. God knew what was going to happen to Joseph. But listen, Romans 8 does not say that all things work together for good. Romans 8.28 says that, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God did not approve of what his brothers did in selling him off as a slave. But God used that God used that in a very powerful way, as we're going to see. And that Joseph is in the hands of Potiphar is going to be a key point here. That God chose that home of all the homes to put Joseph into. God is with you. Let me say that again, because some of you, that just went right over the top of your head. God is with you. If you are his child, if you have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God has made a promise for you. And the promise is this, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Here's why that is such an important promise. In Greek, I'm going to geek you out here for a second. In Greek, they do this. They use a double negative to enforce a positive. A double negative in English would be something like this, I ain't got no. We, we, we don't talk like that. In English, you don't, you don't use two negatives. But in Greek, when they use a double negative, it is to enforce the emphatic of how, how much that is true. So when Jesus says, when Jesus says, all those who come to me, I will in no wise cast them out, that uses a double negative to say, when God brings somebody to me, I am not going to cast them out. But that that passage in Hebrews that says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, that has three double negatives in those, just that short frame of, of space there. I think God means it when he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. For some of you, you are walking through some really, really dark times, some really hard times right now. God is in this, and God is good. God has not left you alone, but God is with you in the midst of that dark time. God was with Joseph in the midst of that dark time. The, and the slide says, the Lord was with Joseph during his darkest days. Now watch this. Verse 2 it's interesting because if you, you can run right over the top of this, <clears throat> the Lord <clears throat> says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. In the Hebrew, the way that it says this is literally that Joseph became a man successful. The, the, the order of the words that are used, not only, was jo, not only was Joseph there, but Joseph grew up as a man. Joseph is 17 years old when he when he goes to Potiphar's home. 17 years old. Now think about this. He is 17 years old. He is from a group of people that is loathed by the the Egyptians. The Egyptians did not like the Jewish people. Where do you he does not know the language either? He does not know the culture. Where does a 17-year-old boy start when he works for somebody like that? Did you notice the end where it says? Where did he live? In the house. I don't think he started in the house at all. He is 17 years old. He's from a group of people that is loathed by the Egyptians. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the culture. But all of a sudden now, we find him in the house. Why? Joseph has no prospects. He has no prospects. He has no prospect of going home. Think about it. What has he got at home? He's got brothers that tried to kill him, brothers that sold him off. He's got no home to go back to. He has no prospect of advancement. He's a slave. He's a slave in someone else's home. He has no prospect of advancement. He has no prospect of marriage. He has, there's, there's no Jewish people around here for him to marry. He has nothing. And yet, it says the Lord was with Joseph. In the same way that the Lord is with you. And it says, and he prospered him. Why did he prosper him? This is huge. Some of your translations say, and the Lord blessed him. God blesses that. I love Tony Evans. Tony Evans is one of my favorite preachers. And he had a statement that he said, God blesses that which brings him glory. Joseph's life was bringing God glory. Why? Colossians chapter 3. 23, we read these words. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Can I, I, I want to just stop here for a minute because this, this begs the question, why did God prosper Joseph? Because Joseph lived a life in such a way that God was honored and God was blessed. I don't know. In my heart, heart, I wonder if Joseph didn't say to God, now I can be totally off base, but I wonder if in, in, in Joseph's heart, he said, God, I have nothing. I have no prospect of home. I have no prospect of advancement. I have no prospect of marriage. But God, I have you. And all the days that I have that you've given me, Lord, I will serve you here. I will be to you a blessing. I don't know what he did, but there was something that Joseph did that God said, I will put my blessing upon that. I will bless that. Can I, can I ask about your work? Because the verse, let me get ahead here. The next verse, it says, when, when his master saw, this is verse three to five, when his master saw that he was with, it, that the Lord was with him, What? His master saw it. It was evident. It was evident that the Lord was with him. When Moses comes down from the mountain, he's been with God. He's got the Ten Commandments in his hand. And when he comes down from the mountain, what's different about Moses? His face. His face glowed because he had been in the presence of God. And it so terrified the people, they made him wear a veil. Later on in the book of Acts, Peter and John, the people noticed what about them? They noticed that they were unschooled, ordinary men, but that they had been with Jesus. It was evident that they had been with Jesus. It is evident here. In Joseph's work, it was evident. I am very, very fair-skinned. And it is evident when I've spent too much time out in the sun, my skin gets red. It is not good for me to to be out in the sun, so I have to lather up with, with sunscreen. But in early days, when I was younger, it just you don't put on anything, and my skin would just get very, very burnt. It would become evident very, very quickly that I had spent time in the sun. Can I ask a question? I mean, this, this, this begs the point here. Is it evident in your lives that Christ is real? In the way that you work, in the way that you work, and I just had it before church as to who said it, Somebody made the comment, it's not Augustine, um, but they made the comment, preach, preach, and speak if you must. Preach, preach, and speak if you must. Let your life be a testimony. Is it evident? Do the people at your work, is it it evident in the way that that you work that Christ is real in our lives? Why should it be? Because Go back to that uh, Colossians 3 verse for a minute, please. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. There are several things I don't, I don't like to eat. Okra, zucchini, onions, and leftovers. <laughs> I don't like leftovers. And you know, God doesn't like leftovers either. I don't like lukewarm coffee. And I don't think God likes lukewarm service either. At your jobs. The job where God has placed you. The job where God has placed Are you just showing up? just showing up? It's like, yeah, I've been doing this job now for 20 years. Uh, I, I am not giving any extra time in my day for this guy. No way am I doing that. I get a paycheck from this place, but that is it. I, I do my time. Are you just showing up because I don't think if, if we were doing it and we knew that Christ is our boss and at the end of the day we were going to stand before him, I don't think we'd do a high, half-hearted job. As Christians, we're called to live through our lives in such a way that Christ is seen in our actions. In Cambodia, we have a, we have a doctor in Cambodia, in Poipet, Cambodia, and one of the things they do on Fridays, it's a, there's a lot of thyroid cancer in, in Northwest Iowa or North, uh, Northwest, Northwest Cambodia. There's a lot of thyroid cancer there, and every Friday, they open up the clinic. They don't do uh, the thyroid work, but they just open up the clinic to anybody who wants to come in. And the people they come in, and one of the things that they've they said over and over and over again is this: "Why are you so kind? Why are you so kind to us in the way in which they do their work?" It's a testimony. And they say, well, here's why we're so kind. Because you go to a Cambodian hospital, and they treat you terribly. You go to this clinic here, and they show you the love of Christ. In the way in which you work, it was evident to Potiphar that Joseph, that the hand of the Lord was upon Joseph. Is it evident in your workplace? Now let me tighten the screws just just a a tad more. Let's bring it home into the church. Okay? Okay. How are you serving? I'm going to start with the, with the under shepherds first, with the elders and under shepherds here. A sacred mantle has been placed upon our shoulders. A mantle of service in which God has called us to. And as we serve, we are serving the Lord Christ. I pray that we never show up, just, just showing up to do my job, but that when we show up, we show up and we serve. We serve with all of our heart. GC members, same thing. I pray that as we're, as we're serving, a mantle of leadership has been placed upon you. A mantle of trust has been placed upon your shoulders by the congregation. And I pray that we never just show up, but that we serve in such a way that is evident that Christ is living through us. One more, because we have such a large group, our, our Filipino ladies. You guys are precious. You guys are precious. And for some of you, you work in some pretty tough situations. Situations that we would never put up with. God is with you. And even though you may have an employer who's difficult, who's very hard on you, it's not your employer that you're serving. You're serving the Lord Christ. He is with you. He sees what happens to you. And he is the one who blesses the work that you do. He is with you. Joseph, it goes on and it says that uh, everything that he had, it was evident to Potiphar that that God's hand was upon him. Joseph is successful. Be careful of that when you're successful. Isn't that what God said to the Israelites when they go into the land and when everything is successful? He says, don't forget. Don't forget God. And sometimes we get in those places where, hey, I, you know, things are going pretty good in our life. In our life. Be careful of that. Be careful that you don't forget God. And that's a place where temptation also comes in. Now remember, okay, go to verse 6, please. So Potiphar left everything he had in, char- in, had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he did. in In my mind's eye, I see Potiphar's fields over here and the neighbor's fields over here. Potiphar's, or the neighbor's fields are getting 25 bushels an acre uh, of wheat. And Potiphar's are getting 100 bushels. Whereas this guy's cattle, they're, they're having single births. Potiphar's is twins. And all of his sheep is twins and, and triplets. I mean, everything that Joseph has is, is turning to gold. And remember what I said as you read God's word Whenever the Old Testament takes the time to give, you, to give you a description of somebody, you want to pay attention to that. And this is one of these times. What does it say about Joseph? He was what? What does it say there? Well built and handsome. He was a very handsome man. You know who else gets this distinction? The very same words in Hebrew. There's three others. His mother. His mother Rachel, very same Hebrew words. Rarely are the same Hebrew words ever used for somebody. But the very same words. But then there's two others. In the, line of, in, in the line of Joseph, or not in the line of Joseph, in the line of Judah, there's two more that get this distinction it's David and Absalom. Joseph was a very handsome man. And he did not go unnoticed. By Potiphar's wife. Here's where the R-rated sermon has to come back to being a PG or G-rated sermon. It says, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. It's as raw in the English as what it is in the Hebrew. And if you notice, we find her saying it twice. That the point of this in the Hebrew is to say, this is what she was, this is what she wanted, and this is all that she wanted. And yet, Joseph, what does he say to her advance? He says to her advance, he says this. um, Verse 8, he says, he refused. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. Everything, everything except you. In the Garden of Eden, God said in, in Genesis 2, verse 16 to 17, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. God said no. There are times when God in our lives says no. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because, because he wants to make your life miserable. God's no's, hear this, God's no's are because he has a better yes. And Joseph stands up to her and says, you know, with, with me in charge, my, your, your, my master has entrusted me with everything. And literally everything except you. And yet she, that's what she was after. Keep, uh, go to the next verse, please. Excuse me. It says, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Now watch this. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? That's going to come back later. It's sad in, in in our day and age when I have to say what it is that I'm going to say next. Sex is a beautiful thing. It is given to us by God. But it is given to us by, it is a beautiful thing given to us by God, given to a man and a woman who are married to each other. Not who are going to get married to each other, but who are married to each other. There was a Cambridge study. I was listening this morning on the way here. Um, Tim Keller, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, he was talking about this, that there was a Cambridge study that was done on premarital sex, and they looked at two, two, in, in in one country, and they looked at two different groups. One of the groups was homes where, it was okay. Pre, uh, sex before marriage was okay. And of the, that group, 23% of that group, by the time they were 18 to 23, were still virgins. Then they did another group, and this was a group that grew up in the church where it was told that, that you know this was, this was wrong. Of that group, take a guess how many, what the percentage of those people were that were still virgins between the ages of 18 to 25 years old. The first group was 23%. The other group was 28%. Fairly, not a whole lot of difference. So what was the issue? The issue is that while it's taught in church, and while it may be taught in the home, the culture around them is what they're assimilating to. The culture around them is what they're, is what they're taking part in. And we have to know that, like I said, sex is something that's beautiful, something that's a gift from God, but it is a gift that is to be enjoyed between a man and his wife. And someday I'm going to be talking about that whole thing too, between a man and his wife, who's a woman. Okay? I'm old-fashioned. I'm very conservative. I believe the Bible from cover to cover. And that's an issue here today as well, and it's something that, that has to be talked about. And Joseph, he stands up to her and he says, he says, "With with me in charge, with me in charge." He said, I, I, "How could I do this wicked thing?" He calls it what it is, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't stop. It's one thing to stand up to a temptation one day, but victories, you that victory that you have on one day. The thing with temptation is it just keeps coming back, around and around. And around and around, and it catches you at your weak points. What do we talk about weak points? When you are lonely, when you are tired, when you're hungry, and when you're angry. Those are four points in life. Guard your heart. We're told in we're told in um, in Proverbs chapter four verse twenty three. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the very wellspring of life. I lo- I I don't like the way that's translated. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Ladies, if you are in a relationship and he cannot keep his hands off of you or he keeps telling you, you know, hey, you know, if if you love me, he is not worthy of you. What you have to give to your husband on your wedding night is one of the most beautiful things that you could ever give to him. And it is nobody else's right except that man who is your husband. So that when young men come to my house, I had only one daughter. Some of you got two daughters, some of you have three daughters. I only had one. But I wanted to put the fear of God. My wife told me that, especially when the the man came to want to ask questions about dating my daughter, he was 26 years old. He's 26 years old, but he still had the the intestinal fortitude to come to me and ask me. But I wanted him to know very, very clearly you touch my daughter. in a a sexual way, and we're going to have problems. Because I am responsible for her, and dads, we are responsible for our daughters as well, and for our sons. When she comes to him, I don't think this was the first time she came to him. Guard your hearts, men. Guard your hearts, ladies, for it is the very wellspring of your life. It says as well in Song of Solomon, it says, catch the little foxes the foxes that ruin the vineyard, our vineyards that are in bloom. Catch those foxes. Catch those things that, that cause problems in your life. If there are those things that are causing you to stumble or things that you know that, that are going to be blatant with, especially uh, this week, I, 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 I read the news that, ha- that comes from the United States. There's a very liberal <laughs> newspaper that comes from the United States, and there's a very conservative one that comes from the United States. The problem with the conservative one is that sex sells in America. So that not only do you have the conservative news that's there, but you have all of the other garbage as well. And it's like, I'm sorry. I can't do this anymore. This are little foxes that you've got to catch. Because inevitably, when I, when I go to read the newspaper, it's later at night. And inevitably, I want some of the worst stuff that they see is on Sunday night, after I've preached. Delete. It went out of my. It went off of my phone. It went off off of my iPad because I want to catch those little foxes. I don't want to be. I don't want to have those things causing me to fall, guys. If there are things in your lives, ladies, if there are things in your lives that are causing you to fall continually, get them out of your life. If you can't handle the things on your computer, bring your computer out into the light. Put on your computer. There's a program called Covenant Eyes. It will cost you money. It will cost you money to put that on there, but it is money that is well spent. Covenant Eyes is not a program that, that uh, filters out everything. Covenant Eyes is a program that watches where you go. And here's the, how it works. You have an accountability partner. My accountability partner is one of my former pastor friends in Montana in the United States. And there's been some you know, times where something on the sidebar, I haven't gone and done anything, but something on the sidebar will kick out and it will call me up or send me a note and say, hey, something flagged on your covenant eyes. What's this about? I'm glad he does that. Because I'm not looking at pornography and I don't want that to be any part of my life. And that's why I put that on there. And guys, if you can't, if you're struggling with your walk in that, get accountability partner in your community groups. Get an accountability partner and stand, talk to him. And ladies as well, if you are struggling, I'm going to talk both the ladies and men, and then we're going to move on here. But if you are struggling in your relationship with your husband, hear this well. If you are struggling in your relationship with your husband, the last person in the world that you need to be talking about that issue with is another another man. That just opens things up for lots and lots of problems. Here's how it usually works. You're trying to get a hold of your husband. You're trying to talk to your husband. You guys go out to eat. And this is what he's doing the whole time while he's eating. I've seen this. Guy's eating and he's just looking at his phone. Mom's over here. Kids are over here. And he's just tuned in. And then the phone rings and he's talking and he's eating at the same time. It's like, I don't know when. I don't know when they've had a, had a conversation. And then when she does, she does try to have a conversation with him, he just puts her down. She goes to work. And there's this guy at work. He just, he, he, he gets it. He compliments me on the way that I look. And and when he talks, he leans in and he listens. He asks me questions. I don't know when the last time my husband ever asked me a question. And he's begun to write me notes. And there's nothing wrong with the notes at all. They're just encouraging me. Guard your heart, for it is the very wellspring of your life. Guys, if you are struggling in your relationship with your wife... The last person on earth that you ever need to talk to is another woman, is with another woman about it. You find a man of God. You find a man who loves God with all of his heart, and you discuss that with a man because here's how it works for a guy. You go to the office, and you try to have a conversation with your wife, and all she tells you is that you've got to lose weight, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. And you go to the office, and this lady, she laughs at your jokes. Your wife doesn't laugh at your jokes. She, she compliments you. She, she compliments the work. I can't remember the last time I got a compliment by, 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 by my wife at work. And all of a sudden, you begin to see this person in a different light. And you can't wait to get to work. Because when you get to work, there's somebody who cares about you. Guard your heart, for it is the very wellspring of life. Get rid of the little foxes in the vineyards. Potiphar's wife would not take no for an answer. I I find it interesting, verse 11. Slide three, in temptation, it's easier to win once than again and again. Verse 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. How convenient. And look at what happens. Verse 12. Maybe I'm off here. Well, I'll, just, I'll just read it. In verse 12. In verse 12, it says, She caught him by the cloak and said, come, come, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he'd left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called for her Hebrew servants. She called for her household servants. Look, she said to them, Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed, and when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She's a good liar, isn't she? Hell hath no fury, somebody said. Then the woman scorned. And when Potiphar comes home, she, she tells him all about what it is that, that's, that's happened. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And what is Potiphar's reaction to this? Next verse, please. When his master heard this story, his wife told him, saying, this is how this slave treated me. He burned with anger. Why? Why? Most commentators believe that Potiphar knew his wife. And part of the anger was he had to do something. He has to do something. To save face, he has to do something with Joseph. Slaves were not thrown. Slaves who were accused of attempted rape were not thrown into prison. It is grisly what happened to them. They were killed. And yet, yet when he gets in there, sometimes we fall into temptation because we're tempted. Because when we're tempted to look, you did not look at the sin and say, it's, this is wicked. That's coming up. But he's thrown into prison. He's thrown into prison. And why is he thrown into prison? And I, I wonder why Potiphar was angry. He was, losing, he was losing Joseph. He has to do something with Joseph. But he puts him in this prison. Joseph did all of the right things. Sometimes we do all the right things, and yet we still suffer, don't we? But was God with him? He was, wasn't he? He was. How did Joseph stand up? Five things real quickly about how Joseph stood up to to temptation. The first thing is because of his integrity. Because of who he was. Verse 8 and 9. He says, Because I am in a... Can we get that or I could just i could just read it i don't want to i don't want to push us for time here um, he was able to stand up to the successfully resist the temptation because of who he was he was a man of integrity he, he, everything was put into his hands everything was was trusted uh, was entrusted into joseph's hands, and he says, with me in charge, he says the master is not, doesn't have to worry about anything. There was a contractor that uh not a contractor, but a guy who was looking to have somebody do some work, a very large, large job and it came down to two different contractors whose bids were very, very close, and he was looking to go with one of the two contractors and he brought one of the contractors in and He, he really was impressed for what he did, but he had a little test that he used for each of the people that that um, he was looking at to see if they had integrity or not and The first guy passed with with flying colors. What he did was this. He took a can of Coke, and he put the can of Coke right over the top of the final bid price that the contractor was willing to bid to do that job. He put it right over the top of that, and he said, oh, I've, I've got to step out of the room for just a minute. And when he stepped out of the room for a minute, he, what he was waiting to hear was what the guy didn't know was that inside of that can of Coke, the bottom, there was no bottom in it. And they put BBs. BBs or you know, marbles, really, really, really small little marbles inside of that can so that when he picked the can up to see the price, the final bid price, all of those marbles went all over the floor to which the man looking for the bid walked in and said, okay, you can go. I know what kind of a man you are. Joseph was a man of integrity. It was who he was when she wasn't around. It was who he was when Potiphar wasn't around. It was who he was when he went to bed. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of his word. Joseph could be trusted. One of the the reasons he was able to resist the temptation was because he was a man of integrity. Second thing is because he was prepared to call sin what it was. It was sin. it's, It's not a lapse in judgment or it's not a weakness. And by the time we begin saying that it is those things, we've already lost the battle. The third reason that he was able to stand up to is because he feared God. Psalm 36. Excuse me, let me get that scripture here real quick. And here it is. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The fear of God is also the reverence of God. They reverence God. He, he believed in God and he loved God. And because he feared God, he wouldn't take this step. Jeremiah 5.22 says, Should you not tremble in my, in my presence? By the time we get to, to culminating the act of, of, of what's wrong, a lot of times we've asked questions like this. What can I get away with and still be a Christian? Or will God still forgive me if I commit that sin? And Joseph called sin what it was. It was sin. And he feared God as well. He knew not to play with fire. Did you notice he didn't didn't stay around her? He didn't even want to be around her presence because he knew this is what she's looking for. He didn't play with fire. And scripture says, can a man scoop fire into his lap and not get burned? You're going to get burned. Ask the people who come to, uh, uh, over the years, 30 years of doing this, having to be present in a room when a wife has to tell her husband that she's had an affair. I thought he was going to kill her. A huge man. Huge man. And to see him just break down in tears knowing that his wife has had an affair. Those are hard, hard times. And before that even begins, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because here's the thing we're not left alone in the midst of the battle. We're not left alone in the midst of the battle. Joseph had no prospect. He knew. He knew that if he. If he doesn't go through with it, he knows what's going to happen to him. And you notice that Joseph is someplace close enough that they can find out, find where he is and bring him, bring him to Potiphar. He didn't run that far away. He knew that his prospects were gone. But Joseph also cared about the name of the Lord as well. And he stood up for that. And how do we stand up to temptation? First of all, we need to see that in and of ourselves... Um, week number, slide number five. In and of ourselves, in and of ourselves, we're not strong enough to withstand temptation. We're not. For this you need Jesus. Both men and women, young and old, you are not strong enough on your own. It says in scripture that your your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a raging lion, seeking whom he may devour. Guys, he wants your life, he wants your heart, he wants your marriage, he wants to destroy every vestige of grace and truth in your life that he can. He wants your children. Do you know that the pornography industry today is targeting boys eight years old to thirteen years old because they can't spell? They're counting on the fact that when they put in certain names of things, and I'm not going to say those names, that a pornographic site is going to come up. The pornography industry earns more each year than Pepsi, Coca-Cola, and there's another one put together, all put together. And they have the technology as well that when those things pop up on your screen, that when you try to get out of it, it just keeps taking you deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He desires your marriage. He desires your heart. He desires this church. That's why we pray, God protect us. And on our own, we can't do it on our own. But we read in Scripture, and these are not on the screen, so I'll just read them here. But we read in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says no temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but will with the temptation provide the way out so that you can stand up under it God has provided Ephesians chapter 6 says this it says therefore put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand up against the devil's schemes God has given us his armor to be able to stand up against that temptation but the armor does no good the armor does no good unless you put it on. When I worked as a police chaplain, every, every day um, when, the, when the police officers put on their uniform, and I was a chaplain, they put uniform on me, and one of, my, one of the police officers that worked for the church, he came to me one day, and he had for me soft armor. And he said, Pastor, he said, I love that you're a chaplain, but he said, I want you back there on Sunday morning. And he put on the soft armor. And if and there were officers that would go out on duty and they had a, a St. Christopher uh, medallion around their neck and no soft armor. It's like, oh, no, th- this is going to protect me. It's like, hello, that's not very smart at all. And God has given us his armor to stand up against the temptation. Second Corinthians chapter 10 says that the weapons that we fight with are not of this world. They are mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. We take every thought into captivity, making it obedient unto Christ. You are not alone in your fight against temptation. God himself is the one who said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Last thing, in Hebrews, it says, Hebrews chapter 2, it says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, this is talking about Christ, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Are you being tempted? Yes, we are. Every single one of us in this room, temptations come our way every single day. How do we deal with them? If you're dealing with them in and of your own strength, you're going to fall time and time and time again. And when your feet hit the floor in the morning, one of those things is you say, God, I need you. God, would you surround me? Would you protect my heart? Would you protect what my eyes look at today? God, would you protect me in this? Because we have been called, we've been called to be a blessing. Let me bring the sermon back around now to the very beginning. This is bookend. At the very start, it says that the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. Now Joseph's in prison. He's accused of attempted rape, falsely accused. He is as innocent as the day is long, and yet there he's sitting in there. And it says there a second time, almost verbatim, the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. Everything there in the prison, God was with him. He was a blessing. God brought Joseph to Egypt to be a blessing. And he was a blessing where? A blessing, first of all, in Potiphar's home. Then he's a blessing in the prison. Then he's a blessing in the household of Pharaoh. Then he is a blessing to all of the people of Egypt because God tells Joseph what's going to happen. Seven years of, of, of plenty, the likes of which they have never seen before, followed by seven years of famine, the likes of which they will never see before or ever again. And God tells him, and because God put Joseph there, the land of Egypt is blessed. The land of the lands around Egypt are blessed. Why? Because they hear that there is grain in, in Egypt, and they send their people there to get grain. And not only are the nations around Egypt blessed, but then also Jacob's family hears that there is grain in Egypt, and he sends his sons there, and they're protected, and they're helped. Ultimately, who else is blessed as a result of, of Joseph? Keeping of Joseph being a man of God. Ultimately, who else is blessed because Joseph was a man of God? It's us. Do you see the blessing of a godly life? Why are we blessed because of what Joseph did there? Because Joseph was a man of integrity. Because Joseph was a man of principle who put God's principles and God's wishes ahead of his own. He was blessed. He was blessed. And when Judah comes, and when Jacob's family comes there, one of those brothers is a brother by the name of Judah. And Judah, it's through his line that Christ comes. And through Christ, we have life. God has blessed you. And I think of us in Hong Kong. I think about us and all of us in this room. Every single one of us, God has blessed in incredible ways. But he has not blessed you to simply hold on to that blessing. He has blessed you so that you can be a blessing as well. He doesn't pour his blessings into us so that we can kind of carry the blessings around with us. He has poured his blessings in you so that you can pour them out on the other people that are around us. Joseph was blessed to be a blessing. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Is it evident where you work that Christ is in you? If not, then why not? Because he longs to be seen in and through you. Maybe today is the day where you say before God, first of all, God, forgive me. Because people at work don't know that I'm a believer. Or people at work, the way they see me work, they wouldn't wouldn't know that I'm a believer. But God, today that stops. Today, God, through your help, through your strength, Lord, I want to serve as though I'm serving you. I'm not going to quit at this hour of the day and then do something else. I'm going to work till the clock is done. Are you living in such a way that Christ is being seen through you? For our Filipinas, are you serving in such a way that Christ is seen in your actions, that your employer knows, hey, these people, the blessing of God is upon you? How are you doing in the areas of temptation? Maybe some of the things that I talked about today, you're right in the thick of it. You're struggling. There's somebody at work that you just can't wait to get to work because you can't wait to talk with that person. Today, today before, before the day ends, ladies, find another lady, a lady who truly loves God with all of her heart. And I would even suggest, I'm going to go out on a limb here, that you find an older lady, but a lady who loves God with all of her heart. And you talk with her about it. Men, the same thing. The same thing. We cannot fight this battle on our own. Joseph is a great example of how to stand up under temptation. But temptation doesn't stop. It keeps coming day after day after day. And you've got to put on the armor of God. And you're blessed. You're blessed to be a blessing then let's be a blessing. In the apartment flats where you live, be a blessing. Give greeting. Even though I, I talk to these guys, they think they understand maybe two or three words of what I say. But I still try to be kind and nice. They are so kind and nice to us. I just want to be a blessing back to them. Be a blessing to the people that you're around. Show them that Christ. Preach, preach, preach. And speak if you must. Amen. Father, thank you again for the word of... Word of God. And Lord, thank you for an example of Joseph. And ha- Lord, what do you leave in the Bible? Because there are days when we could think that Joseph is just this perfect guy who never suffered under any kind of temptation. But he's just like us. And Jesus, you suffered when you were tempted. But every time the temptation came to you, you said, It is written, it is written, it is written. You went back to the Word. And Lord, I pray for each one of us as we go out into our mission field, as we leave here and go to our homes, to our jobs, to our flats. I pray that it will be evident that Christ is real in our lives. I pray especially for us as we go to our work, whatever that may be, wherever that may be, that we would work as though we're serving you. And Lord, thank you for your blessing. My goodness, you've blessed us with health. You've blessed us with legs that we got in here today. You've blessed us with the homes that we live in. There's food in the refrigerator. There's water in the tap. Lord, you've blessed us with air conditioning. Thank you. God, you've blessed us with so many things. Those are just little things. You've blessed us with salvation. You've blessed us with your presence. You've blessed us with your spirit. God, you have given us so much. And you've not called us to keep it, to hoard it to ourselves, but you've called us, Lord, to be a blessing to those around us. Lord, would you give us opportunity to do that today and in this week, that people will see the life of Christ in us and want to know more about that. I pray this, Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. May the peace and the grace and the strength and the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. May the deepest desires of your heart for what it is that you've been praying and asking God for, may you know those in this week. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.